It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Everybody, I told you, I'll be back. And here he is, he's back with more Thunder Down Under with Ben Price. Hey everyone, Ben Price here, and uh, thank you so much for having me for some uh, evangelism truths from Heroes of the Faith in uh, Thunder Down Under, part of Daily Thunder. What an introduction. Hey, uh, out of all the introductions I've ever had, that was certainly one of them, and uh, it's uh, good to be doing this again because I'm loving, it's just so enriching to look at all these Heroes of the Faith and to look at their lives as they point us towards Jesus and as they can help us go out and share the gospel. Because the harvest is plentiful. In fact, it's never been more plentiful than what it is right now. And so we uh, we want to learn how to evangelize, but we want to look at what some of the men and, and women, well, I only imitate the men, uh, but we're, we're looking at what they did and what they had to go out and share the gospel. And it's just been great. Last week was a very special one where we looked at the we looked at the life of Richard Wurmbrand and, and that was so great for me to be able to read and look at his life again. And then this week, it's also a very special one because I'm looking at the life of Keith Green. And Keith Green, a little different to some of the heroes because he was a singer-songwriter, uh, but he was also a preacher of the gospel. He was a teacher of the word of God. He was a an evangelist. He was a prophet, uh, but in his own words. He wanted just to be known as a Christian, just to be able to have well done, good and faithful Christian said at the end of his life. He had a ministry that even continues today uh, with last day's ministries. But, you know, it's all just uh, what he's contributed to the, the overall ministry of God, the, the kingdom of God that we're all building. And so an incredible life that he had. And yeah, I reread the uh, book, which talks about his life no compromise. And this book had a huge impact on my life. And I, I just read it again in the past week. And it was just so wonderful to read this book again. And uh, I've heard his music as a kid and as a teenager, it was really just in, in those years where you really need the direction. And uh, that was so wonderful. And, and in my whole life, it's just helped me. I know my wife and I have both been massively impacted by the life of Keith Green. And so yeah, he, he was born in 1953, died in 1982, only 28 years of age, 40 years ago. Can you believe that? And such a young age and had such a huge impact on the body of Christ. It's, uh, I mean, it really looks parallel to when we look at the life of Christ, only, only three years in ministry and turned the world upside down. But today we're looking at, uh, yeah, Keith Green's life, born in 1953, died 1982. I remember 1982. I was only young back then, but he um, he wrote so many great songs. Uh, and his, his songs, Melody Describes, are like sermons. And I, I identify with that because I know that it's not just, oh, that's a, that's a good lyric there. That, that's really biblical. It's, wow, that was so impactful. Like it, it was like a sermon. So, some of them are convicting. Some of them are so uplifting and some of them are just praise and they're just, I wholeheartedly recommend watch and uh, go on YouTube or, or download his music. It's, it's awesome. So, um, but it talks about in the book in the, in the 70s, Keith was very, uh, this before he came to Christ, he was very spiritual, experimented a lot with drugs and um, he, he had Jesus there in the mix of all of that, because someone that's spiritual can have this spiritual smorgasbord where they're kind of looking for everything. So they'll read different spiritual books, but you know, the Bible might be one and Jesus is a cool guy, and uh, but more of a spiritual master or a sort of radical person, a sort of a guru, not Lord. And Keith and Melody um, realized there was this, there was a higher power. Uh, Melody was his wife and this is in the seventies. Um, and this is the whole, you know, drug, sex, rock and roll revolution era. This is the time of, you know, do whatever, uh, if it feels good, do it kind of era. And they were searching and, and many people were on this spiritual journey at that time, looking for 
fulfillment, looking for some sort of uh, destination. Where, where is it? What is it? And they had um, encountered a man. They talk about harmony. Imagine Keith and melody and then harmony. Sounds very musical. Um, but he was this hippie guy who claimed he was Jesus. And it was a very weird encounter. Uh, and it really showed that there was a dark spiritual side as well as uh, as well as a good spiritual side, which of course is only through Christ, as we know. But they tried everything from Buddhism, astral projection, um, many drugs. They believed there was something, some great revelation. And uh, Keith was this all or nothing personality. It's really interesting to see. He's just so black and white. It's like he's, he's all in, uh, or he's, he's really down on himself if he's if he's not living up to the standard and. He tried to see what it all meant, and they hoped, uh, as well as finding that spiritual meaning, he'd hoped that someone would find him in getting him his big break, musically speaking, because he played uh, at this Blah Blah Cafe in um, Ventura Boulevard in California, and uh, hoping that record companies would come and, and and they did sometimes come and watch, but there was a lot of nibbling, but there was no real bites, and they were they were getting low on funds, and he was doing whatever gigs he could sort of do to make ends meet. And I, I know what that's like as a as a comedian that's performed a lot of venues and uh, done a lot of shows. So what what did what did Keith sound like? Now I've been imitating all the heroes of the faith, given them all a voice so far, and some we don't know, so I've given them a voice. Keith, we know very well. Because you can hear his sermons, you can hear his music, and so the the way I'm describing him, you you know, if I was going to give him a voice without thinking about it, I'd, I'd probably almost make him like Owen Wilson. He's like, yeah, no, on this journey, wow, yeah, for spiritual enlightenment, wow, yeah, no. So here's some quotes from Keith Green, but this is me imitating him, just so you know. And uh, here's some terrific quotes. Have a listen. just speak the truth. And that is a profound quote right there. And it's so true because as a Christian, you don't have to go searching for controversy, just speak the truth. It will follow you. And uh, I often point to when I'm sharing the gospel, uh, we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. And when I'm sharing, often it's with a lot of Muslims, I'll, I'll show them John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And it's speaking the truth, but it's controversial because it's it's making it exclusive. And I'm saying, you know, a good prophet wouldn't lie, right? And a good prophet can't be crazy, so he's he must be telling the truth. A good person wouldn't just make it exclusive because a good person would just say, look, you know, this is my way, this is a way, but it happened to be the way. And it's like this checkmate that you're bringing in front of them uh, to speak truth. It's either going to make people think, uh, well, there's, there's controversy or they'll have to say, actually, it is true. And uh, we can't just say, <laughs> you know, let's all get along. Uh, and and ex- yes, we do respect one another's opinions, but this is absolute truth. Now, Melody says in the book that it wasn't the perfection that drew you to Keith's music. It was his heart. Uh, he had honesty, he had integrity, and yet he was also doing illegal drugs. So it's 
kind of weird. Uh, but that that heart, that honesty, that integrity came through even when he uh, became a believer. And um, but they would all uh, they would always be sharing questions because Melody was also a musician and a songwriter, uh, and they they worked well together. And uh, they had these questions about the universe. And um, Keith, as I said, did have that love for Jesus. In fact, wanted Jesus to come into his life, but it was it was not Jesus from a point of view of being saved, uh, where he's Lord of your life. And so they, in honor of that, they got married on Christmas day, 1973, a good day to remember your wedding anniversary. I'll never forget it. I mean, they say what the best time, the best way to remember your wedding anniversary is to forget it once. I'll never forget it after that. And, uh, but that'd be, that'd be fascinating whether, whether they get many guests and, um, they were working uh, at the Blah Blah Cafe, or Keith was, and and then they end up working uh, for a record company. They got a record company deal, but it was more about writing jingles uh, for CBS. And he, he wanted more. Uh, he wanted that break. He'd, he'd always wanted that, even as a kid. Uh, I, I know the feeling, if you've heard my testimony, but he, uh, at seven years old, he had his first TV commercial appearance, and uh, he was on TV at a very young age, even on a on a bill with the likes of Sammy Davis Jr., who had uh, TV spots. Uh, he was in many musicals. Um, he had a showbiz family, like this history, his grandfather and his father. So he was destined to become a star. It, it was in his blood. Um, his parents were Jewish, but growing up, uh, they followed Christian science. So it's an interesting mix right there. And uh, I've heard it said about Christian science, it's neither Christian nor science. And, uh, and amongst all that, he was experimenting with LSD, uh, trying to find the secret of life, searching for this mystical truth, uh, uh, almost like in, in the song that he wrote, um, searching for that crazy missing part. But with just one touch, you rolled away the stone that held my heart. That's in your love broke through. It's such a great lyric, such a great song. Um, that he wrote just sort of on the brink of coming to Christ and uh, but he's searching for this way of peace, this this brotherly love, this new dawn that they described, and uh, which was kind of like karma, um, but you know it's it's really not <laughs> not going to work as we know as believers. Um, but he's he's got this spiritual checklist. He's crossing it off. No, that didn't work. That didn't work. Um, but when he found something, here's what's interesting. He would always tell all his friends, "Oh man, you got to try this. You got to try this." Even it describes if he had a sandwich a certain way, it's like, you got to try this. You got to do this because it was something that he did and he had that personality, almost like God's preparing him as an evangelist, which is a great quality. And uh, he, he'd seen Jesus freaks, uh, but just didn't want to be one of those. Uh, They're like, not one of those. Because uh, he just couldn't believe that the scriptures, the Bible was the inerrant word of God. It was like, we can gather good things out of it, but it was written by men, right? Uh, these are questions people have, or, or a loving God wouldn't punish his children. This is what a lot of people say when we go out and share the gospel. And uh, so he had this spiritual checklist. He, he'd, he'd met Joni Mitchell, the recording artist, and um, serenaded her outside her home and had to have um, organic apple juice with her and describes it as this incredible experience and this kinship, but, but she didn't have all the answers he was looking for. So he's crossing these things off the list, spiritual books, astrology, now cross that out, tarot cards, pyramids, now cross that out, uh, chanting, I mean, the pyramids, that's a scheme, right? Pyramid scheme, chanting, that's not going to work. Uh, he had a friend, Cougar, <laughs> can you imagine? Sounds very 70s, this hippie, uh, this spiritual mentor that uh, he looked up to, but he stopped believing in what he said because he'd sort of sold out to materialism and was going down that track where Keith had broken out of that mold and he was not your nine to five guy. He had this bohemian lifestyle and, and was searching for answers, didn't want to be part of the, the organized day-to-day uh, -day sort of status quo. And, and even he didn't like the, see, he liked Jesus, but he didn't like organized religion. He... Uh, he, he liked Jesus, but he, but he didn't dig the Christians, you know? And he said to be one, you needed a suit and a tie and a barber, which is an interesting uh, thought of the time. Uh, you know, he didn't really 
know Jesus. Uh, you know, see, to have eternal life is to know Christ. But he, he knew a lot about Jesus and wanted that. And Melody had bought him a Bible at one time to, to really make him happy. I think it was for his birthday. Um, and he was on this journey, very intense, uh, just desperate to find out what it was all about. And, and went along even to a, a Bible study. This is where he actually came to Christ because he responded to a altar call there and put his hand up to come to Christ. Now, and, and even then, he still, look, he loved Jesus, but he didn't actually think Jesus was God, which is fundamentally what we need to believe. And he had discussions with it with other uh, Christian singers at the time, like Randy Stonehill and, and Barry Maguire and, and guys like Larry Norman, who, you know, this is the, the beginning of this Christian um, contemporary music scene and, you know, some great, great music. Barry uh, Maguire was a very popular uh, artist who had success in the world. And so he knew that he couldn't believe he was born again and, and wrote the song Bullfrogs and Butterflies, both been born again. I don't know if you remember that song. I remember singing it as a kid. And uh, it's an interesting thought, you know, how the, the tadpole becomes a frog. It's, it's not just a, a little change. It's this metamorphic change like Romans 12, 2 talks about, um, you know, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, rather be transformed. And that word is, is metamorphic change. And that's what it's like. So he was being introduced to this. Also being told, yeah, Jesus was and is God, you know, being shown in, in, the book of John at the, the very first chapter and um, his friends were trying to convince him, but he, he was, you know, not interested. He was just like, no, he can't be God. Uh, he had a friend, Doug, who brought this Chinese man called Richard Jing Lo to their home. And he's like, I'm not interested in Eastern religions again. No way. And, um, but to his surprise, he walked in and he was a brother of Christ saying, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, Although he probably sounded more Chinese, like, oh, praise the Lord. Hello, Keith. You know, praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. I, I don't know what he sounded like. But but Keith saw this genuineness in him and came around to really come to believe before too long that, yes, he was and is God. And, and not too long after, Melody also followed uh, Keith's zeal, Keith's enthusiasm and, and was searching for that. And, and also they both came to Christ and, and Melody um, also had a Jewish upbringing. So it's kind of similar when I looked last week at uh, Richard and Sabina, Sabina Wurmbrand, and they had that Jewish upbringing and, you know, weren't necessarily Orthodox, but they had that there in their life and then both came to Christ. And, and also the Bible study that he was going to, um, Keith was going to, uh, the, the leader there showed him in Colossians, how it talks about, the fullness uh, of, of the deity dwelt in Christ, says in Colossians 2.9. For in him, says Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So instead of this couple attending parties every night of the week, they now go to Bible studies every night of the week. Such a difference. And they go to church on Sundays. They just wanted to uh, lap it up and get into the word of God and uh, Keith would share with everyone and anyone. Like, like I said, he had that upbringing of someone who would just, you got to try this, man, right? You got it. He had that natural makeup of an evangelist that God used. So, so many people came to Christ. They'd see hitchhikers and they said, you guys have just got into a den of Christians. And they'd pray and they shared with them. And uh, I think one of them had uh, a blood clot that got healed and they had aches, uh, back aches that were healed. And uh, But more importantly, the gospel. And, you know, I remember hearing Keith Green in one of his songs, how he spoke the best, the best healing is of the sin sex soul, right? So it, the best healing we can see is to see someone go from death to life to become born again, really. And, uh, but Keith was also challenging Christians that he saw who were living an immoral lifestyle, who weren't married and, and said, you know, you, you can't be living together. He wasn't afraid to bring the hard word and to speak that truth into someone. You know, as I said, didn't try to be controversial, just spoke the truth and um, wasn't afraid of the consequences of losing favor with people. But God was 
sanctifying. You know, it's really raw when you read it uh, in here. And you go, was their theology intact? Hey, they, they met Christ and Christ was drawing them and they were being sanctified. And you see that journey. You see they grew and grew in the Lord as mature believers in, in just such a short few years. And they said there was nothing better to see someone come to Christ. And I can identify that uh, as an evangelist. It's one of the greatest things to bring Christ to see, uh, see their transformation almost happen before your eyes. It's, it's wonderful. And they had this urgency. Uh, th- there is an urgency because we don't know if we're going to see them again. And we don't know if they're going to die uh, at any given moment. 10 out of 10 people die, right? And, and they also believed that we need to because of the in- imminent return of Christ. This is the 70s where there are lots of movies like A Thief in the Night and A Distant Thunder. And they're like, well, well whether that's now, whether it's in 20 years, 30 years, it doesn't matter. We don't know when they're going to take their last breath. There's an urgency. It was um, funny part in the book where she thought the rapture had happened. They're in a supermarket. She couldn't find Keith. And after a few minutes, there he was. And you can imagine the relief. Um, I remember in, I guess, uh, early 90s, there was a guy who he really thought Christ was going to return at that time. And, you know, you don't want to put dates on things like that. We don't know. We've just got to be ready. But uh, there was a lady we knew in Tasmania, and this is before Google and, you, you know, internet. She was on a remote um, farm with no one around her. And and she was telling my mom, she believed it was going to happen. And she said, I'll ring you after it if, if it doesn't happen. And and she called and, and my dad was not a not yet a believer at that stage. So when he answered, she was no surprise there, uh, you know, expecting him, asking for my mom. And he said, now my dad knew what was going on. So he played along a prank and he's like, yeah, she was here just a moment ago. Um, I can't find where she is. And this lady's going, oh, he goes, no, I'll put her on. Fun little trick you could play on someone. But there is an urgency. There is an urgency. Uh, It's appointed to every man they'll die and then face judgment as it says in Hebrews 9:27 so they saw many christians come to christ or many people come to christ to become christians i should say and there were many that fell away uh, we see that in christ's life many followed but you know many also fell away uh, that were not genuine and this this really concerned Keith this is something that we see that there is always going to be the sheep and the goats uh, the wheat, the tares, the, the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. This is what we see in the church, sadly. And so often it's because this modern gospel we preach is a gospel for happiness, not centered on Christ's righteousness. And that's what it should be all about. Not to have an uh, improved life, but an exchanged life. And But Keith was, you know, he'd see people in the book, there's a guy who was at a party saying, praise the Lord, and jumped into a pool. Problem was he was naked, but um, rather than just kind of turn a blind eye to it, Keith said, you need to get out and leave. And uh, this was a couple they'd been sharing with, uh, but Keith spoke a hard word and spoke the truth. He wasn't afraid. And see, anyone can confess that they have Christ. They can say, oh, I'll believe in my heart, I'll confess with my mouth. Um, the Pharisees would honor Jesus with their lips. They'd say the right things, but their hearts were far from Jesus. As we know, Keith wanted to live a holy life and no compromise. When, when, I, when I share the gospel, there's a lot of people that have been turned off Christianity. And that's one of the reasons because of hypocrisy. It's huge. And, and we want to make sure that our lives... Now, in saying that, we're all going to have some little element of hypocrisy in our life, but but I'm not talking about a completely duplicitous life where we're we're really pursuing a sin life here and trying to fit Christ in, sort of trying to serve two masters. Yes, you know, I, I think I've heard it said we can fall into sin as opposed to diving into sin. But the moment we do, we 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 get right with the Lord. Um, but but Keith couldn't stand. And, and I know that feeling, this uh, righteous indignation when we see people that are supposedly in the faith turning away and falling away and living contrary lives to the what we see in the scriptures. 
But uh, but yes, many people would come. Uh, many people would live at their home. It wasn't just a well. I shared the gospel with someone. They they would bring them into their home. Different era, of course, um, in the seventies. But they had that heart of compassion to come and live with us if they need a home, and uh, they would disciple anyone that needed to help. Um, and, and Keith at this time was really looking inwardly as well at his own life, uh, examining his own life, thinking, you know, he saw all these people falling away. He's like, I don't want to fall away. And questioning, do I give up music? Because, you know, this was just what he did, but does God want me to give that up? And he was agonizing in prayer over this as to what do I do? Because he, he thought, you know, there was this, he called it like a crutch. Uh, he could always rely on his music. It would open doors. It would help meet friends. It was something that was an appeal. Uh, but he didn't want people to see the talent. That he wanted people to see Christ because it's, it's not about us. And this is another truth as an evangelist. You want to see it's not about you. It's about him. We're just, we're vessels, right? And I know what that's like because uh, I can have the same thing with, you know, I can... I can speak like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It can impress somebody, right? And I can instantly make friends and it can open doors and it can, you know, And but God can use that. I'm not saying he won't. It's just that I want people not to, I don't want them to see my talent. I want them to see Christ in me. I, I want it to be all about him. And I think that's important that whatever we do in ministry is not to be reliant on that. That might be a part of it. God can use it, but it's it's all about him. There's this song when he was singing. Um, I think it was, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. It was such a beautiful song. And there's this preamble he speaks at the start of it. And he says, you know, I gave up ent- entertaining a long time ago. And I, I resonated with it because he was not so much there to entertain as he was to sing to the Lord and to to please him and to bring others to Christ. It wasn't just, hey, I'm a Christian artist. He's ministering the gospel through the music. He uh, had written this song, The Prodigal Son Suite, and it is it is so good. And uh, yeah, I love all his music, but this was this epic song. And this was one of the first he wrote that was, was really almost him coming to the Father and broken and... That's, that's how we come broken and humble and he welcomes us with open arms. And um, But after he wrote that, he knew that God wanted him to play for his glory, to use that talent for him. And within a few months, he was doing um, church concerts, not knowing what to charge. That's an interesting thing. Uh, sometimes he'd get love offerings and sometimes he'd charge. But what do you do? And he was writing songs that were filled with encouragement, conviction, and humor. He had this great sense of humor. I get the sense when I read the, the book. He's a sort of guy, I, I would love to have actually hung out with him because I think I think we would have gotten really well because we would have just had a lot of laughs. He just seems like a really fun guy, um, but also very intense as well as kind of got these attributes, but, but you know, used greatly, all of them for the Lord. Um, and he wrote a song called It's Because of You where he found this pure joy and, and I love that because when you've got the joy of the Lord, you you just cannot help but share, which you see in, in his life. You know, you've just got to tell everybody about it. And I've had those moments where we are in his presence, where there's fullness of joy. You have so much joy because of Christ. You, you are overflowing. You just, you have to tell. And that was what Keith did. And and I've seen that in my life where I've I've been around brothers in Christ and I've had great fellowship or I've been in the word of God or I've been listening to great praise music. A lot of it's Keith Green's music. People say, what music do you like? It's like, well, Keith Green's the first thing that comes to my mind because I love just hearing some of that music. And and when I'm praying, when I'm reading the scriptures, that you're in the presence of the Lord. You just can't help but want to now share the gospel. So, Keith uh, began his ministry in churches. He's like, is the church, am I ready for the church or is the church ready for me? Uh, You know, because he was this guy who was um, long haired, sort of hippie looking with a beard and these 
uh, faded blue jeans going into this, you know, completely different world, what he was used to. Uh, and yet the impact was so huge, uh, not just on stage, but he would minister to the lost uh, people that were suicidal, people that were leaving um, homosexual lifestyles. He would, he would bring them the gospel and bring them to Christ. And um, he did get a record contract. Uh, when they started to record the album, the the producer was saying, we're not sure if it really uh, works because you're so much better in concert, Keith. It's a weird kind of concept to say. Um, and so because there was an anointing at his concerts and the, the typical way you'd record an album, you lay down all the tracks separately, whereas they said, well, actually, let's go against the norm. And they brought them all in. And it was like having the concert there in the recording studio. And that way, it came through in the music and his first album to him who has ears to hear from, which is from Matthew eleven fifteen. 15, um, 6,000 people had pre-ordered the album and that became the mailing list for last day's ministries, which, which began that uh, following of uh, Keith's ministry. And they were out on this big tour. Uh, people came to Christ all along the way. They counseled, they ministered, they prayed for people Um so many people were not just coming to Christ around them, but even in their home, they're in this three bedroom, one bathroom house with 14 people. Uh, one guy was in the garage living there, ministering to people. It was just radical. By the end of 1977, his debut album was the best selling debut Christian album of all time with over 300,000 records sold. And he was now ministering all over, um, the country and, you know, as a minister of the gospel, he's, he's just saying, I'm, I'm just a pen and God's the writer. As we said, you know, we're just vessels, we're just pens and God writes the story. And I've said this about so many of the heroes, but there was humility. You see, even the fact that he was elevated, like a lot of these heroes, God elevated them to give them a stage. Uh, he was so humble. And I think that's why God elevated him because he showed humility. God was able to give grace and his life was a prayer. And that's where uh, that song came. Melody wrote, make my life a prayer to you. Um, his second album was No Compromise. And that's something that he really wanted and, and lived because he, he'd been desiring just to be uh, holy for the Lord, not compromising with the world. Um, he'd been reading all about revival by Leonard, Ra Leonard Ravenhill, who wrote, When Revival Tarries. And um, I think there was a line about being asleep in the light. And that's formed one of his songs, Asleep in the Light, where it was just a very powerful song. Um, you know, don't you care? Don't you see? Are, are you going to let them drown? Um, about people that are just you know, constantly going to, he uh, to hell, I should say. And, and there's Christians who just sit back and, just keep soaking it in, just the hearing teaching, but they're not doing anything out there in the world. And it's, it's a convicting song for um, someone that shares the gospel. Uh, he even went to a, a Jesus Northwest festival with 35,000 people. And he challenged them rather than seeing it as a big promotion for his music. He challenged them. Uh, he walked out on stage. Uh, someone had given him a scripture about uh, from Amos 5.21. I hate, I despise your festivals or your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. And here he is at this festival saying that. But many people were broken and convicted. And he, he really began and desired to see not just, well, that was a great meeting, but but revival. And, and with all the people that he was discipling, he had 70 people at this stage living in seven homes, baptizing people in pools or bathtubs, um, a bunch of post hippies now following Jesus and they'd have Bible studies all the time. They were coming to Christ. Uh, people might've said, do you get time to exercise? And he said, the best exercise I know is hitting the streets for Christ door to door, ghettos, prisons, old age homes, orphanages, high schools, colleges. That's a pretty good exercise right there. That's kind of training in godliness. So you can do a lot of walking, uh, walk and talk kind of reminds me of that song that he wrote. And, but he challenged people who were supposed to be born again, that you should, you know, be excited as well, because he, he saw a lot of people that said they're Christians and they, they didn't have that excitement. 
and he challenged them to live like Christ lived. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Which It's challenging. It's straight to the point. John's like that. And, and that's the, the direct truth that Keith spoke, which had this uh, John the Baptist kind of... Um, it's just so truthful. It, it, it stings sometimes, you know, he had that. And um, there was this imbalance with what you see in scripture and, and how you see the life uh, that, that should be lived as Christians. And, and we see that today. It was something that Keith was very much on that to see Christians be all in for Christ and, and no compromise, as I mentioned, giving everything to the Lord. Um, their next concert was going to be at ORU, the Oral Roberts University. Perfect timing for someone who's just really wanting revival. And he said that they didn't want any money or honorarium. Uh, he said, we're going, to, we're going to stay a week for free. There's an offer. Uh, they, they wanted to see revival. They're praying and praying and praying and, and you know, not just wanting to see um, typical Christianity, but genuine Christianity. And he, he said, you know, around that time, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Always enjoyed that quote. But And he'd been reading not just Ravenhill, but uh, Charles Finney, who'd written a book about revival and breaking up the fallow ground. And uh, from Hosea, it's chapter uh, 10, verse 12. It says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. In other words, uh, God wants to break up your heart and break up the fallow ground of your heart, the unseated, um, bare and empty parts of your heart to, to break that up so that the seed of the gospel will go into a soft heart. And, and Keith had been reading all about this from, from Charles Finney. And it was so inspired. He was up all night <laughs> reading it. And genuinely he said, he felt like, I felt like I've been born again, again. And, and I've, I've had a similar experience in my testimony. Grew up as a Christian, but when I came back to Christ after a season of being lukewarm, I felt like I'd been born again, again. I can relate and he got all these 70 people living in all the homes, the seven homes, brought them all together at like six in the morning and, and they started repenting. Uh, he, he was repenting of a lot of things um, and attitudes that he'd had and the team all got right with God. And so this revival sort of started at home, so to speak, and then he brought it to his next concerts. Although the next concert in the uh, OIU, Oral Roberts University, they, they said, we can't have you. And, and so they, they had to cancel him coming. But he felt God wants us there. And they're like, okay, but we can't make this happen. But I know God wants me to be there. And he's praying about it. And he turns up. He does a concert for uh, the staff at a luncheon. And there's this mini revival. And they let him stay and have three nights there with the potential that there could be more. And in, in, in those three days, he put on concerts that were uh, life-changing, but there was revival. You see photos of people coming forward and getting their life right with God, admitting sin that was there. And this, this is in a Bible Belt area where there are people that were admitting Christianity, but but they were getting right with God. And and when we do that, when we see revival, it's so that we can then be outward focused and then go out and share the gospel. We've got to deal with our own lives first and see revival before we see uh, people come to Christ. And so, well, I love that, that Keith uh, was being used in that way. And even though at that, uh, you know, you'd look at that and go, wow, wasn't that incredible? But he, he, he didn't feel it the way he wanted it. And he felt maybe he grieved the Holy Spirit because he was such an intense like, you know, have I done the right thing? And um, he asked his good friend, Winky Prattney, who, and he said, you know, don't, you're not to blame if you don't feel anything. And he, he also flew to um, Texas, Lindale in Texas, where, where he saw David Wilkerson, who helped him and prayed with him and, and Leonard Ravenhill, two great mentors to help him. And 
wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing to, to go and see these guys? And uh, we need to, if we're going to make disciples as evangelists, that's what we're called to do in the Great Commission. We need to be discipled ourselves. And that's something I see. Definitely there were, there were older, mature Christians who built into Keith's life. And sometimes it's from reading a book. You know, we read about even Keith Green. This, this is going to disciple us. But reading about A.W. Tozer, reading about Charles Finney, reading about Charles Spurgeon and all of these heroes of the faith that we look at, they can disciple us. But it's good to have people in your life who can guide you and speak specifically into your life that you trust. People who are biblical, of course. And um, and they were in Gardenvale near uh, Lindale, Texas. And, and they decided that we're going to move there uh, and live on a ranch. And it just, to me, it would have been this special time having, yeah, Wilkerson and, you know, Ravenhill and, and there's Keith Green and they're all meeting together at these meetings. Uh, it would have been such a special time, a gathering of people like that. I just, I would have been like going there just to see it in awe, but not to hold these men up on pedestals. And cause Keith didn't like that either. This, uh, you know, hero worship of these kind of, but, but just people that you know are going to build into your life that are going to bring you closer to Christ as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And I, I would have loved that. Um, and it was also centrally located for the ministry to go out either way and um, minister around the, the country. So they, they had a huge yard sale. They raised uh, money to purchase the land. And, and at that time also, Keith was being so convicted not to charge for concerts and wanting the gospel to go out for free, giving away uh, one record only to one uh, to people, but they could have a free record if they only took one. And if they had little money, they paid little. If they couldn't afford it, they'd get it for free. He was helping uh, the 70 people, but at that stage when he moved into uh, Garden Valley, Lindale, Texas, I think about 25 of them moved across and they were working and they were part of his um, ministry for last day's ministries. And they were there with all these other ministries in this area. It would have been an incredible time. Uh, he was now making a new album and he actually had Bob Dylan come and play harmonica on him uh, on his album. And uh, they were actually getting to share the gospel and really encourage him, which because he was exploring Christianity. I don't know where he's at with the Lord now, but they were able to encourage him. And they were amazed that they got to hang out with someone of his um, musical status. The, the next uh, album, the theme was Grace. Uh, you see that come through in songs like Grace by Which I Stand and because Keith sometimes thought, am I too harsh on people? Am I bringing too much judgment? And and he was hard on himself, but he, he, he understood that, you know, why we strive, when it's God's grace. And we, we've got to have that balance, don't we? Um, not just to go, oh, well, God's grace covers so I can do whatever I want. No, it's, you know, knowing that we're all sinners who are saved by grace, this unmerited favor. And grace is also the, the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that we need to to do what we have to do. But it was also challenging uh, the modern gospel. And and I like that as an evangelist, that we don't just tell people, yeah, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, it's wonderful, of course, but not in the, in the worldly prosperity kind of sense. He was, he was challenging them with Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a, there's a cost. He said the blood was removed from the modern gospel. He said the modern gospel is Jesus Christ and what he can do for you. The modern gospel is like a modern day candy Santa Claus. Kind of a funny image to think, but it is, it's like this genie that we think, but rather than just surrendering our lives to Christ, he told his audience in the last day's uh, ministries newsletter that we can get back to preaching Christ and him crucified, like Paul. He didn't like these cheap uh, bumper stickers with Christian cliches that say Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Um, there's no biblical precedent for these. In the last years of Keith's life, I mean, I'm skipping so much. As I said, read this. Uh, there is so much in the story of Keith Green. Uh, they took their boy, Josiah, 
uh, on a trip to Mexico, they saw poor people and they just couldn't, he couldn't believe that they didn't have a home. And uh, they began a ministry to help the poor and reach them with the gospel, which still exists today. And, and so much of their ministry is still today. Uh, you know, it's amazing how it's still continued. They had an affinity with uh, YWAM and they were able to tour uh, Europe and see a lot of people who are lost and it really reinforced when Jesus says, go into the world. And he wrote a song and he would preach this at his concerts. Jesus commands us to go. Uh, and he said, it should be the exception if we stay. And he, he said things like, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on earth. And what an evangelist to say, because we are commanded to go. It's not a great suggestion. It's a great commission. We've been told to go and make disciples and go. Yes, it will be the exception if we stay. So many people stay, don't they? And, you know, we look at missionaries who do go overseas and think, ah, oh, they've got a special call. No, we're all got that call to do whatever God asks us to do. We've got to be saying, Lord, I'm, I'm yours wherever you want me, however you want to use me. It was around this time that Keith had this, you know, he knew he was saved, but he had this, this peace that, you know, anytime the Lord wants to take me, I'm ready, which is an interesting peace to have. It was almost like he, he was being prepared. And even Melody had thoughts, not, not worrying for foreboding thoughts, but thoughts as if to say that Keith's not here on this earth for long. And, you know, in 1982, it's when, <coughs> excuse me, his two children, Josiah and Bethany Grace, along with Keith, all, and another family tragically died in a plane crash. They had a plane that they used uh, for their ministry and this pilot was with them. And, and sadly, um, his life ended at only 28 years of age. But the legacy that he left is incredible and it's inspiring to go out and share the gospel. And it wasn't long after that Melody was reminded of um, unless a grain of wheat. And she, she looked that up in the scriptures and it says in John 12, 24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And we've seen that with Keith's life. It's bearing much fruit even to this day. Uh, spiritually, we have to be ready to die and say, this life is not my own so that God can bear much fruit in our lives as a good and faithful Christian. I want to leave you with the, the words that Leonard Ravenhill said about Keith after he passed away. God bless you. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm sure if he could come here now, he'd bounce through those doors and uh, say, Pops, give me a hug. Uh, he was a zealot, Keith Green. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and Keith Green had one thing in common. They, they both saw the gates of hell. Booth saw them from the outside, whereas Keith saw them from the inside. Keith had been to the bottom of the barrel. He'd felt the horror and the misery. He was a prisoner, and nobody could break the chains. But God rescued him. Religion couldn't do it. Vows couldn't do it. Psychology couldn't do it. But I tell you what, Jesus did it. Keith had a radical new birth experience for the baptism of fire and became a spiritual revolutionary. Uh, God took him, cleansed him, occupied him and anointed him. Keith hungered to know about those heroes who moved their generation for God and followed in their steps. He had a holy zeal and a purity I've seen in very few. I, I, I don't think Keith was preoccupied with the gospel of Christ as much as he was with the person of Christ. I, I, I think that 
that was his consuming passion. He wasn't a teacher or a preacher, he was a crusader. And he poured out the inner passion of his soul through the vibrant lyrics of his songs. In that great final day, many will rise up and call Keith blessed. He bowed his whole being before the one who said, to bring fire on earth I come. And, and by him he was ignited, his heart and altar, and God loved the flame. I, I, I'm in my 83rd year now, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that I'm wiser or stronger. It, it, it doesn't mean I've done more. It, it's, it's not the stretch of life that matters. It's the depth of life. It's, it's not how long we live. It's how we live. And Keith was a, a, a man who seemed to live on the edge of eternity, and he was ready to step into it. You know, it, it, can, it can truly be said of Keith that he being dead yet speaketh, and he will speak right on to the generations beyond us. I wish we had 10,000 people like him. I, I pray that many will catch a vision from his life uh, and trust and obey. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.